1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. My name is Max Weethy. I'm joined today by Ed Harrison, but before I sit down with Ed, let's kick it over to Nick Correa for today's stories.
2: Thanks Max. Today, I'm going to provide a rundown for newly released December data for the Consumer Price Index. For this past December, the data shows the CPI experienced a 0.4% gain seasonally adjusted. This is on par with economists' projections of a 0.4% increase in the CPI and this follows a 0.2% gain in November. The Bureau of Labor Statistics attributes this gain to an increase in the gasoline index, which experienced an 8.4% gain and contributed to more than a 60% increase in the overall CPI. Overall demand for all grades of gasoline still is lower with prices per gallon, now about 10% below than they were a year ago, as virus-related restrictions are being implemented and consumers are staying at home and therefore reducing their driving. The cost of food has also increased 0.4% as both groceries and eating out have gone up by 0.4%. This follows 0.1% decrease in November. All items less food and energy rose about 0.1% in December. For 2020 overall, CPI rose 1.4%, which is less than the 2.3% increase in 2019. And is the smallest December to December increase since 2015. The average rise in inflation for the past 10 years has been 1.7%. If you want more on the inflation, Stephen Van Meter and Michael Ashton today did a deep dive on the subject and on the interplay between inflation, interest rates, and the dollar. To flesh this out and more, let's go back to Max and Ed.
1: Thank you, Nick. Well, Ed, back again on Wednesday. Glad to to be here.
3: Yeah, it's good to talk to you. And we have some interesting stuff to talk about. We had a good back and forth literally right before we came on now about uh, the reflation trade.
1: Yes, uh, I, I'm excited to hear your sort of nuance that you're adding to it. It's it's certainly not something that is a new topic. Everybody is talking about the reflation trade, and uh, when everybody's talking about it, that leads to bad takes. So you're going to help uh, help our viewers sort of dissect a little bit about what they should be paying attention to because uh, they're they're going to be hearing about this uh, at least at least for now.
3: Yeah, I I have two main themes. I think. Uh, Theme number one is what the toggle is in the reflation trade. And theme number two are what are the discrete outcomes that we should be thinking about. So, the first on the uh, toggle, when we talk about the reflation trade, we're talking about a reflation that is, you know, things going up as a result of economic stimulus, uh, the economic goodness that comes from the vaccine as well as uh, anything else that might be like pent-up demand out there. And so the result is, we see commodities going up, we see equities going up, we see yields going up. Uh, and we also, interestingly enough, see the dollar going down because of that reflation trade, because there's an incipient sort of inflationary expectation there. All of those things are, are put together in terms of this one nexus, the reflation trade. And usually, most people call the toggle, the U.S. dollar. So when the dollar's down, and it was down to really low levels, and it kept on going further and further. Hey, great! It's it means more reflation, trade, everything else goes up. But now the dollar's reversed. I would say actually the reason the dollar's reversed is actually because it's not the toggle. The toggle is the bonds, ten-year bonds uh, in the United States. And over the you know past week. Uh, past week and a half, we've seen a massive rally in uh 10 year uh 10 year notes, 10 year uh bonds. We went from basically flatlining for this month or even three months since November, uh, to a massive upward spike of in the order of 26 basis points at its worst when we got to almost 119 on the 10 year. Uh, This is something I talked to Peter Bookvar about yesterday, and to me. That unwound everything else, uh, partially and actually mostly because this is a a rise in real rates as opposed to a rise in inflation. And that really put a dent on all the reflation trades that people were talking about. It put a dent on gold. It put a dent on uh, Bitcoin. It put a dent on the dollar, the dollar moving higher yeah so
1: I mean I think the the relationship between uh, real yields and gold is pretty well established, and obviously, if you have yields rising and inflation expectations are keeping up with it, real yields are going to creep up, and, and that's going to put pressure on gold. But some of the other assets, it might not be as clear to to viewers how, uh, how what's happening with the bond market is is playing out in those other assets. so how how directly is it is it playing out, say, in, in equity markets?
3: Yeah, so uh, you know, this whole it's the DCF stupid thing that I started because of Holer Shape. It's, I, I think it has some uh, some merit. What I would say is actually uh, the framework that I'm looking at in terms of where it has merit is it goes like this. It's that when you look at long dated assets like equities, basically what you're looking at is a discounted cash flows, and if the discount factor is greater, everything else equal. Uh, the near-term present value, uh, the present value of those assets is less. So the question is, is, is when does that matter? Because we've been, I would say, in the midst of a speculative mania, a reflationary mania where multiples are expanding. But at some point in time, the DCF matters. And what we're seeing is, is we're approaching those levels right now. So Uh, Part of it is not necessarily level, but also step change in the level, meaning that perhaps it's not just that we're moving to 120, 125, 130 potentially on the 10-year. It's really that the 10-year yield went up so abruptly that it really put a shock into the system and caused people to readjust their expectations about discount factors, and it wound back the whole reflationary trade.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, before there was the reflation trade, there was the rotation trade, and that was the rotation from the the high flying growth names into the you know the dogs that were that were lagging, and these were value stocks and stocks that should, generally would benefit in an environment where yields are rising, where the yield curve is steepening, and where growth is no longer scarce. So, are you saying here that yes, that that is true that those stocks tend to do better in those periods, but they're already at valuations that are lofty because of the low rates and because of the DCF. And so that although, you know, maybe in other periods of time where we see this steepening, maybe we're heading into a period of, of higher growth, it doesn't matter because they're already so frothy and that the that the DCF is actually outweighing this sort of cyclical rotation that that would happen in these types of periods.
3: You know, value, I think, is just taking a pause by and large. I wouldn't necessarily say that value certainly is frothy. I mean, the froth is on the other side with the Teslas of the world, even with the FANG stocks of the world. I would look at a chart that you and I were looking at literally right before we came on the commodities chart uh, that The Economist posted on commodity prices from January of 2000 to today as being representative of the kind of action, the price action that you're seeing in equities. So if you look at what's going on there, you basically see that there has been a reflation of uh, of commodities across the board with iron ore in particular going up the most. But interestingly, the commodities all did relatively well in that first period from January through April when we had the shutdown. Oil is the one that collapsed, and so even though oil has gone up at the same uh, amount, it's it's lagged the others in terms of it's going up. So you could look at uh, equities as okay, we rotated into to these plays. Now we're looking for other plays to, to to take advantage of. The same thing is probably true in commodities that you know people got into copper early. Copper's run up. But maybe there's still some juice left in oil and oil related stocks.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
1: Yeah, and that, and that's why you're seeing some of the flows dynamics playing out with uh, XLE ETF. I, I saw two sources actually talking about this. Chris Sidial was saying that you know there's some real flows moving into XLE, and should this continue, it would it would put some real legs behind um, behind the rotation trade. And then as well, there was an article from from Zero Hedge talking about a similar dynamic and the potential for a, a gamma squeeze. So so there is a little bit of you know positioning behind that narrative um i want to switch though to those discrete outcomes that you hinted at before you know what do you think are the discrete outcomes and what is the current situation in terms of you know where we're headed most likely or or at least you know, the trajectory we're on
3: yeah um so i think you know this is where you and i we had the the best back and forth about what does this mean i the the three outcomes that i'm thinking about are one outcome number 1 which is the trajectory that we were on before we pulled back and that is uh, a steepening yield curve before we reach the post vaccine stage. Uh, by and large, everyone's thinking that we're going through a a dark winter that we're going through a fallow period, we just lost you know a hundred and some thousand jobs, and that could potentially continue into the new year. but people are looking through that into you know uh, midyear into the fall, and that's when good things are going to happen but we're getting the steepening now, uh, well before that happens. And that's, that's not necessarily a good scenario. So that's scenario number one. Scenario number two is, is where we continue to flatline. You know, We backed off the 119 level. The last I saw, we were at like 106. You know, Two days of good auctions, you, you back up five basis points, you back up another six basis points, and now suddenly you're back in action to where you were before. Maybe we flatline for a very long period of time. 119, it was just a uh, you know a phantom move, and we get to nirvana, post-vaccine nirvana, and then the yield curve steepens. That is a really bullish move, because that's where the reflation should be. That tells you uh, the move is up, because now we're getting this pent-up demand, people are coming back, they're buying stuff. The third scenario is that actually, what's happened, the, the move to 119 was premature, uh, the reflation trade actually was somewhat premature, and the yield curve reflattens. And we get a flattening of the yield curve because this dark period, the, the light before the end of the tunnel, the tunnel gets longer, and uh, it has much more of a negative impact. And you know that, that third scenario is sort of representative of the uh, when I talked to Jack, I was telling him I was looking at three different bond uh, proxies. One was um, uh, HYG versus, uh, you know, the the ETF for investment grade bonds. Uh, this is a proxy for that. If uh, we see a bad uh, scenario where you see the yield curve flattening, then you would expect to see more defaults, and therefore you would expect to see spreads go up. But then there are other there are two other things. One is uh, I'm looking for tips. Versus treasuries, and that's where you get to see what the real yields are looking like. And then finally, it's just the the overall rate of, uh, of 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 the ten year. You know what's happening with the overall rate, what's happening with inflation, and then what's happening with credit. Okay, so
1: you know you you kind of said scenario three is, is potentially a bad scenario, and scenario one is potentially a bad scenario. Scenario three sounds to me like a return to you know. Scare, growth is scarce. the The yield curve is incredibly flat, and that benefits the you know the high growth fang names that were the darlings before this rotation trade kicked off. Is that the outcome for assets that you think would occur in that in that scenario?
3: I think you know we're going back to that scenario, but the difference is, is we're going back to it after we've already seen uh, cr- you know cracks. And so then you know we're in a new paradigm, so to speak. We don't know whether or not we're going to go back to the nirvana of Fang doing really well and uh, and all these other stocks doing well in that same way. It may well be that people then realize, oh wait a minute, uh, things are different now. Uh, we need to uh, we need to price accordingly. But it, it's the it's the scenario that's most uh, similar to the to the earlier world that we were living in in say. September October time frame.
1: Okay. And then as well in scenario 1, uh you you said that's also potentially a dangerous scenario because the market is getting ahead of itself. So is that just creating a scenario really for the transition from 1 to 3? That that yeah, that's, so, that's the risk is that we skip 2 and go from 1 to 3 and that's why you think 1 is really also potentially a dangerous scenario.
3: Yeah, so I think 1 leads to 2. That is uh the the real problem with 1 uh is both the level of rates, but also potentially the rate of increase as well as the um, you know the real rates. Because what's happening now, it, or, or what did happen when we got up to 119 in the 10-year, is, is that real rates were going up. Uh, rates were going up quickly. Real rates were going up quickly. And, it, and the reflationary trade, as a result, completely unwound because the toggle being rates Uh, went down into the dollar, and the nexus of the dollar started to unwind everything else. So we had real rates going up, uh, the dollar uh, being more attractive as a result of that, a sell-off in gold, a sell-off in Bitcoin as a result of that, a sell-off in some commodities, and all of that started to unwind. And if, if, if that were to happen in greater measure, then uh, you could potentially get a a, a serious uh, credit uh, event, uh, and and that would be very negative. Interestingly, though, not oil. Oil didn't
1: really participate in that sell off, and that goes back to that chart that you showed, which has oil as as the laggard of the
3: reflation assets. Yeah, so I think uh, that is interesting, and also if you look at oil, I think it's also interesting to look at where the kink in the line is on that chart. Uh, I think that you know oil went up, uh, it, it, the, the rate of change started to roll over, and then there was a reacceleration around just before uh, the November election. So uh, right in that range, uh, October, November, we, we, you know, the, the rate of change started to steepen a little bit. Uh, people potentially were believing in the oil store. It's not just necessarily supply and demand. They were believing in the reflation trade as manifest in, in that kink.
1: Okay. Well, I think now is the time to to, to give you or something to you know pay attention to to see which which scenario really plays out. So you talked about the level of yields, but you also talked about the rate of change of yields. So what are the the sort of key levels and the speed that people need to be paying attention to to determine which one of these three discrete outcomes uh, we're, we're really trending towards?
3: Yeah and you're you're actually uh, harkening back to a question that I asked uh Peter Bukvar yesterday and we were talking about that my the question to him was what level do you have to get to before this this whole nirvana falls apart and he was already saying you know we're really close you know 120 125 etc uh I'm starting to tend towards the view that it's not just the level per se, but rather that it is also the rate of change. So, uh, if you get to one twenty five in a heartbeat from one one hundred, that's a different story than if you get to one twenty five uh, from uh, one hundred over a, a, a longer extended period of time. So, where we are now, where we retrace back to one hundred six, I think that you know, legitimately, if, if we were to Go up quickly, you know, 30, 35 basis points, that would be enough to trigger a sell off in that whole uh, reflation nexus. Uh, the absolute level that I would look at is 150. That's been my bogey for some time, is 1.5 in a 10 year, irrespective of how you get there. I think that that's a number that will be difficult for markets to digest over the longer term. All right. Well, Ed, I know
1: we're working you hard this week. You're going to be on RVDB every day, so I'm not going to take all your good ideas. I'll leave you a few for for Thursday and Friday and we'll end it there, but, you know, thank you for this. It gives us a lot to think about.
3: Very good. And, you know, I uh you there you had much less pushback here in our open forum than uh you had when we we teased out the ideas a little bit uh right before we came on. But I think that you did a a great job in sort of like, you know, Peppering me. If there's anything else you want to pepper me with, any sort of doubts that you might have, speak now or forever hold your peace. Uh I I still have some thinking
1: to do. I still have some thinking to do. And yeah, you know, it, it's it's always nice to be able to push back on our private calls, but you know, I put on the jacket, show the respect, you know. You gotta do that. <laughs> gotta do that. So all That's right, Ed. I'll so talk well. to you soon. You bet. Uh,